Friends, happy Easter. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Would you please pray with me? Almighty God, speak to us again of your son's amazing life and love, and in his story, help us to find our own. Just as Jesus was raised from the dead, may we too walk in newness of life. Amen. The philosopher Alastair McIntyre said that the only way we can answer the questions, who am I and what shall I do, is by asking a prior question, what story am I a part of? In other words, whose story enables you to make sense of your life and to tell it to others? Whose story makes it possible for you to tell your story. I wish I could hear your responses to this question. The question I find is so discerning that like a key once turned, it has the potential to shed light on one's understanding of oneself and of other people. I came upon this discerning question only recently in reading Richard Lisher's book, about the art of spiritual memoir, entitled, Our Hearts Are Restless. Asking this question has helped him to become a more sensitive reader of other people's memoirs and a more discerning writer of his own. I raise the question today because I think it could be helpful to us this Easter morning as we read other people's memories of the resurrected Jesus and ask ourselves what Jesus' resurrection means to us. In reading the gospel accounts of the first Easter, we witness not so much what happened to Jesus, but rather what happened to Jesus' closest followers. The resurrection is the one and only event in Jesus' life that was entirely between him and God. No one else was there when Jesus was being raised from the dead. The Easter stories, therefore, consist of the memories of those who encountered the risen Jesus and for whom the story of the resurrected Jesus makes sense of their lives. For John, these were memories of when faith dawned in the minds of Jesus' followers. That first Easter Sunday sets the stage. As John tells this story, it was early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, that Mary Magdalene came to the tomb. So startled to find that the stone had been removed from the tomb that she ran to alert the other disciples. After Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved ran to the tomb only to confirm that, indeed, Jesus' body was no longer there. Mary stayed there in the dark among the tombs. Distraught and grieving, she couldn't recognize Jesus when she looked him in the face. When she heard him and spoke with him, she supposed that he was a gardener. It wasn't until Jesus called her by name, Mary, that it dawned on her that this was the risen Jesus. It was a very personal experience one that only Mary could tell. 
because no one else was there to confirm it. Hearing Jesus call her and not someone else, Mary was changed from someone who was looking for Jesus among the dead to someone who announced to others, I have seen the Lord. Some people live as if they have seen the Lord, as if they are in the presence of God. They do not merely refer to God in platitudes or in passing. They make crucial sense of their lives in the light of another's story, that of what God has done in Jesus Christ. It is Jesus' story that makes it possible for them to tell their story. Justin Martyr, the early Christian father, described the four Gospels as the apostles' memoirs, that is, as products of their memories. Of course, the Gospels include very significant and personal memories of others, too. Mary's memory has been included. Her testimony is captured in the Gospel of John. Like the confession of the Roman centurion who, upon seeing Jesus take his last breath, said, Surely this was the Son of God. Mary, upon encountering the risen Jesus, must know that her story will never be the same. It is only possible because of another's story, that of God in Christ. All of us have different stories. Each of us would answer uniquely the question, whose story makes it possible for you to tell your story? To begin to answer this question, we would have to allow ourselves to be quite vulnerable. It requires us to get at the tender places in our hearts. Sometimes our hearts are made most tender, not by what we ourselves experience, by, but by what someone we love has experienced. For me, one of those stories is my father's and his mother's. In his retirement, my father has become a prolific poet. One of his books of poetry contains 78 poems about his mother, who lived 78 years. Each of the 78 poems begins with a different imaginative musing. If my mother were a rock, a tree, a book, if my mother were music, love, heaven, at the age of 14, my father was displaced by the Korean War, separated for the rest of his life from his family who remained in North Korea. Through a series of what felt like small miracles, in 1991, after more than 40 years of being separated from and unable to communicate with his family in North Korea, my father was permitted to travel to North Korea for a brief visit with his family. You can imagine how emotional this reunion was. Adding to the emotion was the heartbreaking news that his mother had died just two years earlier. From his younger brother, my father learned that their mother maintained to the end of her life the firm belief that her eldest son, my father, 
still lived. Somewhere in the world, he lived. We construe our stories as part of another's, even when we do not have all the information, even when the picture is incomplete, when we have to fill in the blanks with our musings, poetic imagination, hope, and firm belief. As much as we long to know everything about the lives of those dearest to us, none of us has the full, complete picture. Only God has such complete knowledge. Only God, in whose book the psalmist says were written all the days of our lives, even when none of them as yet existed. And who, when we come to the end, is still with us, knows everything about us. We, on the other hand, don't know and likely will never know anything or everything about God and Christ. We will never know exactly how Jesus' resurrection took place and what it was like for him. We cannot know what resurrection was like for the saints that we dearly love and have lost. And still, we hold on to, are comforted by, and celebrate the promise of it for them. As much as the promise of Easter is for them, those who have died, it is, according to the Gospels, also for us, those who live. The resurrected Jesus returns to the living and calls us by name so that while we are living, we too may experience the dawning of our faith. When Jesus appeared to Mary, Jesus said, Yes, Mary, I am raised, but it's not about me. Don't cling to me. It's about you, you who are living. Resurrection life is not just for the dead. It is for us now. I have to admit that each Holy Week, I find it easier to accept all the bad things that happened to Jesus, how he was conspired against, betrayed, arrested, unfairly tried, tortured, crucified, and executed, than to believe in his resurrection. I find it easier to accept the reality of sin than to affirm resurrection hope. The resurrection, more than the crucifixion, has always been the greater challenge to my faith. I have to wrestle harder to articulate how Jesus' resurrection has made it possible for me to make sense of my story. The good news is that each year it gets a little easier. Even though there are many things I do not and cannot know, I grow more firm in my belief that Jesus still lives and that we, like Jesus, are called to live now as though there is life beyond death. So I ask you to consider for yourselves how you, who have come here on Easter Sunday, construe your lives as if in the presence of God. 
How does the passion and resurrection of Jesus make it possible for you to tell your story? I suspect that the Apostle Paul's conversion on the road to Damascus is not how most of us would construe our stories. Not all of us have undergone such a momentous, dramatic event before which the way we construed our lives was completely different. Perhaps instead, the awareness that our lives are in God has grown gradually over time. Perhaps it has taken time for us to see truths more clearly that we had previously not seen or had only dimly seen. Perhaps the knowledge that our lives are in God arose only after, one by one, our idols and illusions were stripped away. Some of us may have become aware of God's presence in our lives in the way God has continually called us out of our comfort zones to serve something larger than ourselves. For some, God's call on their lives may have felt like a restlessness, a longing for something solid, grounding, and lasting. I suspect that our sense of living in the presence of God takes a lifetime. It may consist of a renewed consciousness of God as the circumstances of our lives keep changing. While there may be a moment of recognition, inspiration, or revelation that leads to our sense of wholeness, we still do not know what will come next. While we are whole, our lives in God may not be finished. That is, I believe, the way of resurrected life. In Christ, we are made whole so that we can go forth to live as those who are prepared to die, and then to die as those who are prepared to live, so that living or dying, our lives may be in Christ. Amen. <laughs>